Today I want to speak from the subject flourishing because God is teaching me self-control. Part three, just briefly I'll mention the end of this month will be the 20th year since we were visited by God. We're going to have a Holy Spirit encounter the last Sunday night of this month with Lloyd Bustard coming in. And we're going to commemorate the fact that God visited us and just see what God will do. We're not going to try to replicate anything. That's not what this is about. Not trying to recreate anything. I've always resisted observing, as it were, some kind of commemorate service for what God did because I don't want to make, you remember Solomon, 700 years after they had raised up that brass pole in the wilderness with the serpent on it that Moses was instructed to hold up before the people and those that had been bitten by fiery serpents would be healed. 700 years later, that thing was still around. It was being worshipped. I never want to create a Nehushtan, which is what they called that thing, where you worship something that was for a time and a season that has now gone by. But let's pray. Father, I ask that you would talk to us. This is an exciting month. 20 years ago, you visited with us. It's an exciting season. The tide is in. And I pray that you will help us to seize our opportunities because we're getting so close to a breakthrough in every area that you are wanting to give us breakthroughs in. We ask it in Jesus' name that you would form your character within us. And everybody said amen. The character of God is important for this reason. God can visit anywhere. He just can't stay anywhere. So God can show up under any circumstance, but he's like the dove. In fact, the Holy Spirit is depicted as a dove in the New Testament that left the ark and went out seeking a place to alight and found none until the waters receded, so it kept coming back to the ark. We live in a day and age when the church, strangely, seems to be desperately in need of biblical knowledge. It's not a lack of prayer, a lack of fasting. You understand the Word of God, you'll understand the need to do those other things. But we have witnessed the the declension of the quality of education in our nation, and that is not in any way an indictment of the precious teachers and professors in this church that do everything they can to teach. There's a lot of argument out there about things like common core education, which is standardizing tests, or as far as I understand it, to allow people to, to maybe not pursue the excellence in education they once did in an effort to make sure everybody does get educated. I think you ought to be able to do both. Have everybody get an education at the same time, pursue excellence in education. Our children are not able to read and write as they should, and that's going to hold them back immeasurably in their future. And when that does happen, don't think that they're going to be real happy about some of the decisions that have been made to allow that to occur. These are the answers for some of the GCSE tests that were taken by 16-year-olds not long ago in the UK. And please forgive me, I'm going to just tell you their answers. I'm not trying to be risque or racy, and some of it is almost a little bit off-color, If I were telling a joke like this, I would never do it. I mean, I couldn't because it would not be consistent with what I believe is Christian character. But if I tell you answers, actual answers to test questions, then maybe you can see the problem. 
Okay, we'll begin like this. Name the four seasons. And this is the answer some of them put down. Salt, pepper, mustard, and vinegar. Question, how is dew formed? The sun shines down on the leaves and makes them perspire. What guarantees may a mortgage company insist on? If you're buying a house, they will insist that you be well endowed. Forgive me. In a democratic society, how important are elections? Very important. Sex can only happen when a man gets an election. It's okay to laugh. You're adults here. What are steroids? Things for keeping carpets still on the stairs. What happens to your body as you age? You get old, so do your bowels, and you get intercontinental. Name a major disease associated with cigarettes. Premature death. Yeah, <laughs> that'll do it to you, I promise you. Amen. And they continued on. There were some others that I, I want to share with you here. And um, how can you delay milk turning sour? Keep it in the cow. What is the fibula? Nurses and doctors that get a kick out of this, it's a small lie. What does varicose mean? Like in varicose veins. Okay, what does varicose mean? It means nearby. What is the most common form of birth control? Most people prevent contraception by wearing a condominium. That should work. Amen. What is a cesarean section? The Caesarean section is a district in Rome. What is a seizure? It was an ancient Roman emperor, Julius Caesar. I came, I saw, I had a fit. Actual answers. What is a terminal illness? It's when you are sick at the airport. Strangely, in many of our churches, our people don't understand the Word of God. They have limited knowledge of the Bible as well. I want to give you a lot of Word today. And I'm going to say this kindly. We all need it. We all do. I do. As I pointed out a couple of weeks ago when I began to teach about this last fruit of the Spirit, self-control... It is not just saying no to things you should say no to. It's also saying yes to the things that you should do. One of the great mistakes of Christianity is only emphasizing the fact that you should say no to some things. The church has done that over and over again. And while you should say no to some things, it doesn't stop there. There also ought to be some things you say yes to. Eugene Peterson's The Message talks about this when it says there's no value. If you don't learn self-control and the house no longer has doors and windows and there's nothing of any value on the inside, this to Eugene Peterson is a picture of what it's like when the enemy has stolen your blessing and your favor and your right to walk in prosperity and enjoy the extraordinarily blessed life. So the idea of saying yes to the right things to build a life of prosperity and favor is just as important as saying no to temptation. 
We should be temperate in our spending. We should be temperate in our eating. We should be temperate in indulging in our favorite pastimes and so on. But we also should have some things that we dedicate ourselves to, that we give ourselves to. You see, I believe, and again, you're going to hear my fundamental bias come out. I believe that God is all about our prosperity and our elevation. Psalms 35 and 27, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. The Bible is designed not just to tell you what you can't do, but to tell you what you should do that your life can be blessed. And the things it tells you not to do, it tells you not to do them for a reason, not because there's a God up there with his arms folded glaring at you and trying to keep you from having fun. It's because these things will destroy and blow up your life. And here's the rub. It's just as difficult to say yes to the right things as as it is to say no to the things that are wrong. Doing the right things can be just as difficult as resisting temptation. Take music, for example. No one is born knowing how to play an instrument. Nobody. You have to learn scales and notes, and and you have to practice, practice, practice. Pablo Casals is considered to be the greatest cellist of all times. And he began playing the cello at the age of 12. When he was only 12 years of age, he had such a natural talent that he played for Queen Victoria of the UK, Great Britain. Years later, because he lived to be very old, he played for President John Fitzgerald Kennedy at the age of 86. In between those years, he played for nearly every one of the world's most important figures well-known individuals, and also played in all of the greatest venues that existed at the time. He lived to be 96. He was still practicing three hours every day at the age of 96. Can you imagine practicing three hours a day for 84 years because he started when he was 12? And he practiced at least three hours, many days, much more than that. That's over 100,000 hours of practice. And he was asked why. At the age of 96, he was still practicing. He said, because I'm beginning to see some improvement. (laughs) The rest of your life, you need to be saying yes to things that are right. I think of Prince who recently died drug overdose, prolific artist, an incredible songwriter, and had some of the greatest hits that have ever been released. How about your kiss? Purple Rain, songs that everybody knows. Did you know that he never went to bed at night without writing one song a day? All of those years, a song a day, and were some of them silly and some of them stupid and some of them go nowhere? Sure. But if you write that many songs every single day, you're going to develop some hits. But the thing that many of us struggle with, in addition to saying no to the wrong things, is saying yes to the right things, because writing a song a day, gee, that's hard. 100,000 hours of practice, that's formidable. That's a big mountain 
you don't get to that level of success in any endeavor in life unless you're willing to conquer the mountain, unless you're willing to fight your giant. You are remembered for the giants that you fight. David was. We live in a culture that celebrates 15 minutes of fame, but God actually honors a lifetime of faithfulness. Not 15 minutes, a lifetime. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9, for this very reason, make, say it with me, every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. What comes before self-control? Knowledge. And the self-controlled perseverance and the perseverance, godliness, and the godliness, mutual affection, and the mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Three things leap out at at me from these verses. First, we're instructed to make every effort to develop these right things in our life. Second, it is God's will that we possess these things in increasing measure or proportion and not as a static, constant force. And third, if we make every effort to develop self-control, it will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. And the reason some lives are forgotten And they don't make their mark while in this life is because when the giant shows up, they haven't developed the habit of saying yes to the right things all of their life. And they say, he's too big to face. To develop self-control and say, no, you must learn new coping and response skills to stress, to temptation, to weakness, to pride, to anger, to jealousy, and all the other things that, are you hearing me? Every one of us as human beings struggle with. We all do. We all deal with the same stuff. That's a surprise to many people who think that their journey is so unique. They don't face the same issues. Listen to Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, if there's good report, any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. And the things which you learned and received and heard, and what's this, saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will, will be with you. The Apostle Paul is telling us that self-control is determined by your thoughts, and that's where it begins. Watch how this unfolds. Verse 4 says to make up your mind to always rejoice. Your rejoicing should not depend upon what you're going through. And most of us as believers have not learned that yet. It doesn't matter what's happening. Paul said rejoice. You don't have to rejoice for what's happening. Just rejoice in the middle of it. Come on, we're talking about strategies that produce predictable outcomes here. 
And so if you give in to the temptation to bemoan your circumstance, what Paul is really saying is the flip of this is that you're not going to get the desired outcome. And what he's really talking to you about are outcomes, conclusions. Will you get what you want out of this? If you're walking through the middle of a challenging moment, and it might last longer, a lot longer than a moment, he says rejoice always because there is a predictable income. Verse number five, he says learn to put away anger and to treat people with gentleness. Why? Because if you're stressed out, if you're dealing with weakness and pride and anger and jealousy, I can already tell you, and you already know it from your own experience, you're not going to treat everybody the way they really deserve. And somebody do something wrong or you perceive an insult in what they did, boom, there you go. Set you off. And we have to ask ourselves, why are we angry? Why do we deal with these issues inside? And I can tell you why people are angry. They're, they feel trapped. They feel impotent. They feel powerless. They feel overlooked. They feel passed by in life. They're suffering depression because that's what depression is, suppressed hostility. And this results inevitably in projection and transference. As a pastor, but not just as a pastor, because you've experienced it also, one of the greatest problems any of us deal with in relationships, period, is projection and hostility. What do I mean by that? I've counseled people that have walked out after I bared my soul and loved them and shared my, my heart when they were there to ask for advice and, and they walked out saying things I found out later like, he wasn't very nice. You know, he said some hard things. He's not a very loving pastor. And I'm thinking, where do they get that? And it's because in their lifetime, they have carried anger and hostility to the point that now they transfer it into their relationships with other people and they project their hostility to you as for transference and projection you ever say something that was intended to help somebody and they they got angry about it upset misunderstood went and talked bad about you okay this is what i'm talking about Proverbs 29 and 11 says, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Somebody said, I got a right to give you a piece of my mind. You may have a right, but you probably need that piece you're about to give away. Amen. You may have given away so many pieces, there's not much left. Amen. A wise man holds it back. In all of these, these things, I, I, I think of, we always want to talk about rights. I got a right, I got a right, I got a right, I got a right. And I want to tell you, let's take freedom of speech, for example. Because in America, we're taught that's absolute, that we all have an absolute freedom of speech. And I personally think the Bible doesn't teach that we do. Not an absolute freedom of speech. An absolute freedom of speech means I can say anything to you I want to say. And guess what Jesus said? If you call a man a fool, you're in danger of hell's fire. There are some words we need to delete from our vocabulary. You say, but the government gives me the right to say them. Look, there's a higher government than the government of men. Amen. 
I love the law in Japan. It's called the sunshine law. Have you ever heard about it? In Japan, if you build a building that blocks someone's sunshine, you actually have to pay them damages. You can say things that stand in somebody else's sunshine and cast them into darkness. Are you hearing? So this whole thing about, I got a right to be mad. You hear people say that, say that to one another. You got a right to be angry. Well, you can be angry and sin not. Amen. Listen to this. Verse 6, for some people, self-control means learning to live in the moment. I'm talking about how to say no to the things you need to say no to. First, always rejoice. Second, put away your anger. And third, live in the moment. Because your thoughts will go crazy on you. Some people live more in tomorrow than they do right now. Help me out a little bit here. Worried about this and worried about that. And it was Dale Carnegie that years said, years ago said, I've died a thousand deaths over tragedies that never happened. Worrying about what's coming and it doesn't even show up. Worried so much you don't even live in the moment right now. Amen. This is what Jesus said about that. Matthew 6, 34, give your entire attention to what God is doing. Say it with me right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. You can't fight the battle until the time comes. Amen. But they're talking layoffs on the job. And you allowed yourself to be worked into a tizzy. And it's affected your appetite. And you're barking at people. And you're upset. And you can't sleep at night. And you're getting ulcers. And that's not what God wants you to do. In the middle of your circumstance, rejoice always. And say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Don't know about those others that are not serving God. But as for me, I'm going to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. I'm going to have a table prepared before me in the presence of mine enemies. Amen. How do you say no? Again, you say no by always rejoicing. Learning to put away anger. Learning to live in the moment. And number four, look at verse six, learn to fast and pray. Because verse number six says this, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto the Lord. Amen. Number five, how do you say no? I told you I'm gonna give you a lot of verses. Look at verse seven now. We jump from verse six to seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, when you fast and pray, it brings you peace of mind. Because you're learning to say no to the legitimate needs of your own body. That you can say no to the crazy, reckless thoughts in your own mind. Amen. And watch this now. Verse number seven, practice the peace of God daily. How do you do that? 
Lord, control not only your thoughts, but your speech. Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. How is it going to help my soul by guarding my mouth? There is a connection between what you say and your spiritual well-being. Somebody say amen. amen. Proverbs 13, 3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. There's that city without walls. Doors and windows have been removed from that house. Why? Because he didn't hold back the things that he was saying. Went back to what I said a while ago. We do have freedom of speech here, but the freedom of speech should never be interpreted to mean that you can hurt other people with what you have to say. You can't stand in their sunshine. Amen. Jesus said there are some things you will say that will bring you into danger of hell's fire. And then finally, let's move on a couple of more of these. Number six, the sixth principle from this, how do you say no? You see in verse number eight, learn to say no by removing yourself from situations that are causing an inflaming temptation. Say, where is that in verse number eight? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The reason some people set themselves up to fall into temptation is they entertain thoughts that are not good. And of course, the men in this room are thinking I'm saying one thing, and the women are thinking I'm saying a number of things. Because every man here is thinking, well, he's really preaching right now to me about impure thoughts. And that's only part of it. And let me address that. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He had a right to get angry, to become bitter. And don't you know that he had to deal with that? He not only was sold into slavery, but initially they were going to kill him. Remember, his own brothers were. Threw him into a pit. And then Ishmaelite slave traders came along, drug, they drug Joseph out, his brothers did, sold him to these slave traders, and he went into Egypt where Potiphar, an Egyptian general, bought him and brought him into his house. And Joseph was a good-looking young man, and Potiphar's wife began to be attracted to him, and she began to try to tempt him into a, a relationship with her, and he refused and here's where I'm coming from. If Joseph had been allowing impure thoughts to dominate his heart and his mind, he would have been thinking like this. Now, she's inside that room, and she's scantily clad, and she wants me. I'm going to just go in there, but I'm not going to do anything. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You hear it? Don't work like that. But Joseph didn't. He didn't put himself into the situation. He walked in in innocence. And whenever the temptation arose and she grabbed him, he twisted out of his own coat and fled. And she lied against him then too and had him put in prison. But here's the thing you need to know when you say no to temptation as a child of God. God will always cause you to be promoted. Somebody say Amen. If you give in to the temptation, that's whenever you will experience the pain and the consequences of your decision. And I realize that in the last two weeks, I've probably made some folk very uncomfortable, which has not been my intention. 
talking about saying no. Because some of you are dealing with stuff and struggling with issues and you're hearing me talk like that and you're thinking, I've got the spotlight turned on. You know, as a fellow traveler in this experience called life, I'm trying to share with you a few things that I've observed in the years that I've been around and that others much older than I have, have taught me. And so what you have to do is remove yourself from situations that are causing an inflaming temptation. Let me be real plain. Don't watch some of this jiggly flesh that's on TV every time you turn it on. I know, I know I'm being plain, but can I just talk to you this morning? Oh, I'm going to just watch it. Everybody's, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, first of all, that is so degrading. Talk about misogyny. Talk about making women just objects. Women should rise up in this nation against that kind of stupidity. Amen. Amen. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. So men, you're thinking that I'm talking to you about that, so I will. Okay? Now, the ladies generally, their minds are elsewhere. When I talk about resisting temptation, they're talking about, usually there are a number of other things that are going on. And I want to tell you, equally, you can't entertain those. You need to remove yourself from situations where you're tempted. Amen. And you know what that might require? You might need to drop some so-called friends that are encouraging you to do the wrong thing. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Oh, I'm going to just hang out with these people. They're not going to pull me down to their level. Listen, did you never hear if you lay down with dogs, you'll get up with fleas? Birds of a feather. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, looks like a duck, Amen. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Probably every one of us need to reevaluate our list of friends and who we allow ourselves to spend time with. Amen. Because the problem is we often think the people that are our friends are the ones that agree with everything we want to do. That person, you know, they're not doing me right. You hear what they said? Amen. That brings us to point number seven. For other people, self-control is learning to connect the dots with their actions and what that will cause and understanding what it does to yourself, these actions and choices do to yourself and to others. It's learning to think about the future and not be so impulsive. Back to the friends thing. The right friends will tell you exactly what you shouldn't do. And they'll look you in the eye and say, don't do that. And here is, in is the problem. Most of us, when people tell us not to do what we want to do, you're not my friend. How many of your little children have said that to you? You're not my friend anymore. 
We sound like little kids when somebody says, don't do the wrong thing. You're not my friend anymore. Don't allow yourself to be conditioned and always supporting everything people around you do. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds. Oh my God, did it say that? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It's better to be wounded by a friend and told the truth than it is to be lied to while you're being kissed by an enemy. Moving on to say yes, those are seven things you need to say no to temptation. To say yes to the right things. Number one, reposition yourself to experience personal transformation. Tell somebody you need to reposition yourself. Come on, let me hear you. You need to. Have you noticed all those places in the Bible where people came up to Jesus and got a miracle on the spot? But then have you noticed the other times when in the most inconvenient circumstances, people had to be at a certain place to get a miracle? The fishes and loaves have been in an inconvenient place, a desert. The blind man that Jesus spat on the ground, put mud in his eye, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, terribly inconvenient. Feeling his way down the streets, tapping out his way. There's a man that works at the airport now that I see each week, and I think he's collecting carts or something. I'm not sure, but I admire him so much because he's blind. He has a cane, and he's going down through the area, and he feels a cart and taps it, and, and I want to go get the carts for him, you know? But this guy's feeling his way along, making the most of his life, though he can't see. Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, Lord, there's a guy here with a jug of water. Why not allow me to use that? No, reposition yourself. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Amen. What about the 10 lepers? Go show yourself to the priest. Why not just kill them on the spot like he did others? They needed to reposition themselves. You and your life to say yes to the right things need to start repositioning yourself. Have enough self-discipline to start changing some things in your life. Be accountable to somebody if you're struggling with temptation. Get in counseling and learn why you have certain triggers that are sensitive the way they are. Learn wh what your buttons are and why you respond or react, I should say, when they're pushed. Reposition yourself. To the rest of us, this is good advice for every one of us here. I want to ask you, what books are you reading? What classes are you taking right now? Who are you studying with? Who's your mentor? You say, well, you know, not, yeah, that's right. And so don't be surprised if five years from now you're in the same position because you're not repositioning yourself. Number two, to say yes, realize you need more, not less of God's word. Say more, Lord. Come on, say it more, Lord. Psalms 119 and 11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you daily read the Bible? You know, you can go to the church website and there's a daily Bible reading program and you can read through the whole Bible with the rest of us. Are you in church every opportunity you have to be here? Amen. Getting all the word of God you can or do you show up only when your favorite preacher comes? 
You know we have people that call here each week. Is Dr. Hurd speaking this weekend? Seriously. I'm so close to just lying and saying, tell them I'm going to be here every week. Because you need the word. Amen. You don't need Richard Hurd. You need the word. Amen. You hear what I'm trying to say? Do you show up when your favorite team is playing? Or if you don't have anything else to do. Number three, to say yes, make every effort to change your thinking to reflect that of the word of God by changing your input. Every day you're being bombarded by messages, the media, the news, television, friends, especially in this political season. God have mercy. Amen. All of this stuff flying through the air and you need to compensate by getting more, not less of the word of God to undo all this other stuff that's going on out there. Amen. That, and again, that might mean finding friends who are models of obedience to God and who are trying to please him. Philippians 4 and 9 says this, the things which you learned and received and heard and have seen in me, these do. You need friends where you see the right things being done in them, not the wrong things, where they tell you the right things, where you hear the right things. Amen. And then number four, to do the right thing, say yes to the right thing, so you don't end up like a little boy and end up missing your destiny and forgotten, swallowed up by time, to say yes to the things you should do. Adopt Nike's slogan and just do it. Just do it. You say, I don't see the need in it. If it's in the book, just do it. Is that a little bit too simplistic for some of us? That we want to find all of the psychological triggers where we can position our mind and train our emotions and direct and channel our thoughts and, and then we'll do it. No, just do it. If the Bible said it, just believe it. You say, but I don't see it. I don't understand it. Who said you have to? My old pastor many years ago said, explain to me how a brown cow can eat green grass and produce white milk. Of course, science can do that now. (laughs) But what I'm saying is you don't have to understand the process for it to work. And here's what's amazing is when you just say yes because it's the word of God and you acknowledge the supremacy of his word and determine that you will obey him, you know what happens? You're saying yes, but I don't understand. And that continues, yes, but I don't understand. And you're doing it, but you don't understand. And then a little bit further down the the way, it's yes, and I'm beginning to understand. And then a little bit further, it's yes, and I do understand. Because you open the door for God to begin to speak into your life through obedience. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the fat of the land. Amen. Number five, to say yes, determine your purpose and stay focused on your destiny. And most people never discern their greater purpose in life. But God said, Jeremiah 29 and 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has plans for you. Amen. 
and most of us never, never understand what those are, and we think it has to be something like being called to Borneo or someplace like that to be a missionary, and it's not. You can be a missionary right in your marketplace. You can have a ministry in your office. You can be a child of God right there in your neighborhood. Well, somebody say hallelujah right now. So learn your purpose. It's not just about what is happening right now. It's about what you were created to do and why you're here. Number six, to say yes, and I'm closing. Develop priorities. Matthew 6 and 33, but seek ye, say it first. Come on, shout it out loud. Seek ye. Uh Uh-uh, that wasn't shouting. Seek ye. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things. The extraordinarily blessed life, it will be added to you. Amen. James 1 and 22 said, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Develop priorities based upon the word of God. You say, but pastor, I don't know, you know, how do I go about betting, developing priorities? I don't even know if I have any. You have some. Get me to follow you for 24 hours and I'll tell you what your priorities are. Come on, help me out now. My iPhone went dead the other day. I downloaded the iOS 10 and it killed my iPhone. The battery would get down to 50% and it would die. And I got on the internet and found out it's a common problem. So... I'm flying into the United States, right? And so I can't set up an appointment for next week because I'm going to be traveling. And so I, I call the Apple computer tech, you know, the Apple line, and they said, well, well, we'll do a diagnostics while you're on your phone. And they tried to send it, and the software was so messed up that they couldn't even send it. And so the guy said, go to settings and go to general, and he told me where to go. And he said, you'll see how much of your battery is being depleted by each of the programs. And so there's YouTube and there's, there's Google and, and that's where I do a lot of my research in both of those and, and the Bible programs. And I'm looking at that and I thought, gee, you can look right here on my iPhone and see what my priorities are. I don't have to look on your iPhone. Just have me travel with you for 24 hours. I'll tell you what your priorities are. You notice the holy hush? God is moving in this place right now. And so they replaced my battery, and I'm back up to speed again. Thank God. I was, however, incensed. I had to practice what I preach. Because I couldn't get an appointment. I had to go down and wait for an opening, and that meant waiting hours. And they finally get my iPhone. They tell me, you wait several more hours, and we'll replace the battery. And I walked in finally when it was time, and they said, guess what? Your battery's swollen, and that means we're going to have to replace your phone. And fee fi fo fum it just, because they didn't have one. So you're going to have to go to another iPhone store and stand in line again, you know, another Apple store. I said, please, can't you do something? And, they went, and I was very kind. But they went back there, and after I was, I was kind. Crossed my heart. And, <laughs> amen. I'm not just joshing with you. I knew I was going to have to preach Sunday. You think I'm going to be able to go in there and blast somebody out knowing I'm going to have to get up here and talk about this on Sunday morning? <laughs> well, it kind of kills your testimony, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm thinking all of this. And then they said, well, what happened is, is your battery went dead. And I said, well, why did it happen at the exact moment that I downloaded your new software upgrade? Now, this to me is a very logical question. 
Because it looks like there's a cause-effect relationship going on here. And they said, well, you must have had problems, and whenever you downloaded the new software, it pushed the problem to the forefront. So I had to pay $79 for a new battery, which is better than buying a phone. And then finally, somebody actually took pity on me back there and said, you only have to pay that. You've been standing here so long. So God is good, and having a good attitude made me come out ahead at the end of it all. Amen. And so my phone is back up to speed now. But I still don't buy that thing about you already had a problem with your battery. You mean the moment I downloaded is when the battery just, no, sorry. Coincidences, maybe, but I doubt it. Here's my point now. Amen. Not only develop priorities, but say yes. To say yes, you need to be patient, waiting for the results of your efforts. Patience. James 5, 7 and 8, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And do not understand that last phrase, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, strictly in the eschatological sense that the Lord's coming back in his glory to set up his kingdom on the earth. That is going to happen too. But understand it this way, that you be patient because God's getting ready to show up in your circumstance. God's getting ready to give you a breakthrough. I'm talking to somebody right now that if you'll be patient, your harvest is coming. Oh, somebody shout amen. Somebody say my harvest is coming. Be patient. The coming of the Lord into your situation draws nigh. God is getting near. Your breakthrough is about to happen. God is about to float your boat. Woo! Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. Galatians 6 and 9, let us not be weary Grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And this is what it says in the Amplified. And let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season.